Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Sunday for me, um, and for many of you as well, because we've already celebrated so many good things. And as one of the shepherds of this church, it's such a joy in my heart to see people come and um, want to be joined in marriage. So excited for leading us a sequel, uh, for sure. This is, this is wonderful things the Lord's doing amongst us as a church family. And so I'm thankful that we can also look at this prospect of a 10 a.m. service. I think the Lord, we should really pray about it, because I think the Lord can really use it to, uh, to maximize His name here at Living Hope uh, and then in the weeks ahead. And even as we consider this last year and everything that's going on, um, we, 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 we want to talk about leadership today. And you would recognize with me that it's been an interesting time to be a leader. If we think even over the last year, everything leaders in the church has had to deal with, things like, should we listen to government? Or should we not listen to government? Should we wear masks and shouldn't we wear masks? Is the doors open to the church or should it remain closed? It's been a real challenging time where we see different churches respond in different ways and different leaders respond in different ways, even to the point where there's some tension amongst leaders. Now many of us have grown up with a certain experience of church. And a perception about the local church. How it functions. And maybe your background has been one that has been more conservative. Where there's lots of traditions and formal practices. Where the leadership of the church is usually made up with men who are successful in ways outside the church. Who know how to work well with money and resources. And men who are professionals in their secular fields. Who are good with stuff like admin and uh, keeping things running, where the church kind of functions like a, a board of trustees that makes all the decisions. Or perhaps you've been in a church where the pastor would come around to your house for a, a home visit and the family then all of a sudden tries to get the life in order and all their ducks in a row, putting their best foot forward and to give the pastor this picture that everything is fine, the family is just doing great, all is well. And that kind of shapes the nature of the relationship. One that is pretty superficial and shallow. And if you're honest, you realize my life is lived in one box. And church life and attendance and participation goes in a separate box. And I like to keep things separate. We would rather seek advice and counsel from your co-workers and even unbelieving friends than you would uh, to the leaders in your church. Reaching out to the leaders in your church seems like a foreign idea to you. Or maybe you've come from a background that is completely on the other side of the spectrum. Where church attendance is more like an experience where the guy on stage gets so passionate, he's more like a motivational speaker that he leaves your ears ringing. How this is your time. This is your time to take control of your life and be amazing. And as long as I keep, keep money coming and flowing to the church, and everyone's pumped up and everyone's on fire for the Lord. But it's once you have come to understand from the Bible that God's biblical design for leadership of the local church is so very different, and that you've experienced that design, that you recognize that the responsibility and gift to have biblical leaders in the church who care for you and want to protect you, who want to feed you the truth of God's Word and help you grow, this is a blessing from God. And it's when you study your Bible and you begin to realize that Christ-like elders are not optional for the church. And why is that? 
Because as you read and study your Bible, you come to realize that elders are a central part of God's plan for shepherding His people. God cares immensely for the local church. The church is very close to His heart. Because He gave His life for the church. And the church of God has a great purpose for this world and in this world. Because as you and I know, it is through the local churches, not only do we find that the hope we have that we've been singing about, this living hope, and the way we love and care for one another as God's people, but we have a great calling to make Christ known to the ends of the earth. And so the church is not a business. It's not an organization that needs corporate skills and just get it done kind of people. The church is, as the Bible describes it, the bride of Christ. The church is a body and Christ is its head and with many members and it's the pillar and buttress of truth. And as we think more about the, the nature of the local church and how important it is, we ask ourselves then, who is going to lead the church? And what kind of leaders do we need? And what we will see clearly again today is that the local church needs godly elders. Because the idea of leadership in the church is something that is rooted in the Old Testament. God has a plan for the local church and part of that plan is to have leaders. And for example, we see this all the way back with Moses. Think of Moses. Think of his situation, finding himself in this position of leadership, which he didn't choose for himself. It was clearly God who raised him up. To be the leader of Israel, they needed at that time. And if you know Moses, you know that he was reluctant at first. He felt totally inadequate for the job. And it was always going to be a tough calling to answer if you're going to try and do that level of work on your own. And so what happens in Exodus 18? In Exodus 18, we see the establishment of the eldership structure of Israel. After Moses gives his father-in-law Jethro an update of how God has miraculously delivered them out of slavery, Jethro observes the leadership of Moses, where people are coming to him and they want to know more about God and how to resolve their disputes. And what does Moses do? He teaches them the Word of God, the law of God, to be more precise. And then in verse 14, Jethro asks a question. I think this is so beautiful because here we have a picture of an older, godly man, more experienced in life. He's asking this question of Moses. Verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Verse 17. Jephthah then essentially says, this is not good. This work is too much for one man. And then in verse 21, verse 21, he gives Moses some advice. He says this, Look for able men from all the people. Men who fear God. Who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. In other words, he didn't say, Moses, you are too young and inexperienced to do this. Now rather he says, select men who fear God. Men who are not greedy and selfish, who are not going to seek dishonest gain through bribes. So this work of caring for the people may be shared. And Numbers 11, 16 and 30 then tells us how Moses appointed 70 elders at that time to shoulder the burden of leadership. And then from that time forward, it is now normal to have elders in the Jewish social structures who would act on behalf of the people and bring oversight. Now later in the Old Testament, we also see how God raises up a shepherd boy to become a mighty king. We all know this is King David. To provide the leadership Israel needed at that time. And so this idea of leadership and elders was not a foreign idea when the church was started in the New Testament. Because already in Acts 11 verse 30, we see there's elders in place in some of the congregations. And during Paul's first missionary journey, we see that he knows that he won't be able to stay with people all the time when they come to faith in Christ after hearing the true message of the gospel. 
And so he points godly men in those areas to lead the church. Acts 14, 23. And so there's a clear pattern of leadership throughout the New Testament. The gospel is shared, churches are planted, and the local leadership was established. And what Acts 20, 28 helps us make clear today is that people don't make elders. God makes elders. Paul says to the elders of Ephesus, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And one of the things I want to emphasize right up front today is that, as one scholar says, the Bible teaches that establishing elders is a theocracy, not a democracy. Well, what does that mean? That means God calls men to this responsibility of leading His people. This is not about who is the most popular. It's not about who is the most liked. Or has the best skills because of their current jobs and how they give lots of money to the church. And because they do that, it's assumed these guys must be in leadership. Establishing elders is not a democracy in the sense that we just vote for who we like. It's a theocracy. And that's a big word. But all that means is that God carries out His rule in the church through godly leadership. And it means that He has decided that some men should be responsible for the leadership of others. But even as God calls some to lead in the church, it is both groups, the leaders and its members, who are under the accountability and leadership of Jesus and His Word. God is the one who calls men to this role, yes, but placing this calling and burden on their hearts comes from God. But the church then helps to identify who should be the elders. Because of their godliness, their giftedness and their leadership. This is why so many other passages in the Bible talk about qualifications for elders. We know them well. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, for example. God gives us the guidelines to help us evaluate whether those who think they are ready to be leading in the church are in fact fit to lead the church. And this helps us so much because it takes away all the preferences we might have and opinions we might have. And it puts God's Word as a central focus for understanding who is qualified to lead God's church. And how should they lead God's church? How? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And we are turning back to the book of 1 Peter. Just when you thought we were done, we are not. We are turning back to the book of 1 Peter and we're going all the way to chapter 5 towards the end. 1 Peter chapter 5. And what we will see is that in a church that is marked by persecution and being purified in their faith through trials, biblical leadership must be shaped by the truth of God. To know how they are to care for God's people. And we will see how they are sustained by the, the triumph of Jesus and His glory in this challenging task. And so specifically in this context of 1 Peter, we want to know, how should leaders shepherd the suffering church? How should leaders shepherd the suffering church? And to answer this question, we are going to look at the first four verses of chapter 5. And firstly, we're going to see who has the responsibility to care for God's church. Secondly, we are going to see how are elders to care for God's people, verses 2 and 3. And then thirdly, what sustains elders to care for God's people? Verse 4. So, let's open our Bibles and let me just read for you the first four verses. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as of partaking the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We are talking about leadership today because we are going to appoint an elder at the end of the service. A new elder, a new gift the Lord has given us as a local church. Now, if you've been with us for the last month or so, you know that we've been talking about biblical hope from 1 Peter. 
And how Christians can worship God in their suffering. And you know the context of this church. It's one that, where the Christian church is really suffering. Even if you just look at the previous chapter, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said that you should not be surprised if you are suffering, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And then in verse 17, he explains, this suffering starts with the believing church, and then it's going to move out to the rest of the world. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so the church is called to suffer in accordance with the will of God, verse 19. And it is therefore necessary that those in leadership of the suffering local church should understand and carry out their responsibilities as loving shepherds in this context. Being the under-shepherds of the great shepherd, Jesus. And it becomes even more important that in times of suffering, the shepherds know how to take care of the sheep. And the sheep know how to respond to the care of the shepherds. Because we continue to live in a time where true faithful shepherds are needed to step up and lead God's church. And so firstly, we need to recognize who exactly has the responsibility to care for God's church. And Peter writes here in verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you. So I exhort the elders among you. Peter has now clearly transitioned to address or exhort the elders, the leaders among the people. And this word elder means presbytos, from which we get the word presbyter or presbyterian, which means overseer. An elder is an overseer. And there are a few observations we can make from this first exhortation that Peter makes here. And one that should be obvious, that is becoming less obvious in our day, is that firstly, an elder refers to men, not women. Men, not women. I mean, that can be a whole other message on its own. But let me just give you a few guidelines to see how this is what the Bible teaches. Because in the list of qualifications for elders and leadership, Paul said twice that an overseer must be a one-woman man. He never talks about a one-man woman. Right before he talks about the qualifications of leaders in 1 Timothy 3, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. And so given the immediate context, this verse applies to the role of the overseer, which is defined as someone who teaches and exercises authority. Another obvious link is that when it comes to leading the church, Paul connects that to leading the family. And just as God called men to lead in marriage and parenting, Ephesians 5.22 onwards, He also calls men to lead in the church family. And this then always leads to the question, but does this mean that women can never teach or shepherd, confront sin or be models of godliness? And the obvious answer is no, of course it does not. There are many godly women who exercise the gifting and the design of God's role for leadership in the church, teaching other women in the right context, like a women's ministry or a women's Bible study or a small group or one-on-one discipleship, leading specific ministries to help with children. But eldership is described as a specific office in the church, divinely appointed by God for men. But then, getting back to Peter here again, he says also, notice that he's exhorting the elders, plural, more than one. Peter knows that he's calling, this calling and responsibility of leading and caring for God's church is to be done as a team. And the scriptures are full of examples of how pastoring takes place in the plural, having more than one elder. You see it in Acts 15. We see it in Acts 20, in Philippians 1, where Paul writes to the overseers and deacons, both plural. Titus 1 verse 5, Paul says, I direct you to appoint elders, again, plural, more than one in every town. James says, if anyone is sick, who should you call? The elder. No, he says the elders, plural, once again. 
And so here we have a clear pattern in which Peter knows each single church as far as possible. As far as possible, because it's always possible, because sometimes there are just no men around. No godly men around. Each local church is to try and have more than one home. But why? Why? Well, one of the obvious reasons is that it helps to spread the workload. If we understand what's involved with pastoral ministry, then we will understand that we need help like Moses did. You need help to do this kind of work. And one of the benefits of being multiple elders is that of the different ways God, the way the Lord has gifted people. I mean, although elders have the same responsibility, each one brings his own gifts and God-given talents to be used by God for caring for His people. Think of a leatherman. If you don't know what a leatherman is, ask Alan. He walks around with one all the time. A leatherman is this multi-purpose tool. All the tools have the purpose to fix things, but in different ways. They are useful in different ways, but they all come together. Now, some elders are trained and set apart for teaching and preaching, but all of them are able or should be required to teach. Some are more experienced at counseling, but all of them should be able to accurately handle God's Word. Some are really good with admin and administration, but they still need to be able to teach, counsel, and disciple, and evangelize in practically careful people. And another positive for having more than one elder is, think of the contrast. If you're alone, you can easily lose perspective and have no one help you see things differently. I can't tell you how many elders meetings we've had where we've gone into where my perception has changed because of the influence of the other men around me. And what a blessing it is to know that I don't have to carry this burden alone. I have other brothers who can help carry this load as well. It's an opportunity where we help shape each other and help each other grow. But then notice what Peter says. He says, he's identifying with the elders. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter wants to exhort them and explain where he's coming from. Because why does he have the right to exhort elders in the first place? Well, Peter could have title dropped at this very moment. But he doesn't. He could have said, I exhort you as an apostle. Boom. Apostle. How do you like that? How's that for establishing authority? But he doesn't do that. Now Peter identifies with these leaders, these elders, as a fellow elder. Because he wants them to know that he too shares in the same responsibility to care for God's people. According to God's way. And he's talking about exhorting out of his own personal experience. He knows how hard it is right now to lead the suffering church. And so it's a sign of humility. Something he goes on to talk about in the verses just after verse 4. But then he does something interesting here. Because he starts by establishing his authority by referring to himself as a fellow elder. But then he adds, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And because he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ, it implies that he actually does speak from the authority as an apostle. But he's not lording it over them. He was there when they arrested Christ, we know that. He was trying to wave his sword around and he was busy, busy messing things up. And he fled, he ran away when Jesus was crucified. But we know he must have been close. Because he knew exactly what was going on. And only a few days later, he's back in the upper room. And he saw Jesus in his resurrected body. And he was recommissioned you could say, to go and declare God's message and to care for God's people. And he actually talks about suffering, the sufferings of Christ, all out throughout this letter of 1 Peter. In every chapter, he refers to it. And this is, what, this is what gives him real apostolic authority. As a real example of pastoral ministry, is the fact that he was a real eyewitness to the suffering and resurrection of Jesus. And what Peter's doing is that he's talking with pastors as a fellow pastor. From the standpoint of knowing what that entails to care for God's people. And as a witness of the resurrected Christ. 
And then he has one more dynamic. He says, I'm a fellow elder, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings, and His resurrection by implication, and as well, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter is saying that he is a partaker. He knows about the glory that is going to be revealed, but how is he a partaker in it if this glory is still going to be revealed? If it's in the future? What Peter is referring to, that puts him in a whole other league, you could say, is that he was the one that saw the glory of God in the transfiguration. Back in Luke 9, you remember. Peter, James and John, the three of them were taken up this mountain and God reveals His glory to them in the supernatural way. And so Peter's like, I've seen this future glory and what it's like. I was a partaker in that glory. Before all the glory knocked me off my feet. And so I exhort you as fellow shepherds of God's flock, who has witnessed the life, death and resurrection of the glory of Christ, that you elders have the responsibility to lead and care for the flock of God. And that is the basis for his exhortation, making it clear who is to lead God's church. God has always had a plan for certain men to be called to this office of leadership in the church. To care for His suffering church. But that brings us to the how. How? If it's God's design and plan to lead the church through godly elders, then how exactly are elders to care for God's people? Because here's the main command from Peter in this section, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And one word, Peter commands the elders to do what they are supposed to do. Shepherd. Shepherd. Elders are to shepherd. Shepherd the flock that is among you by exercising oversight. But what does it mean to shepherd? Because the reality is, none of us in this room, I think, have ever really been shepherds. I'm not aware of any of you that, or any of the elders on this church that have walked in the fields and leading the sheep with their rod and their staff. Because the Greek word poimen, which translates pastor, means shepherd. An elder is a pastor, is a shepherd, is an overseer. They're all the same thing in the New Testament. Now poimen can refer to the actual shepherds that you find in the field of Luke's Christmas story. But many times in the Bible it refers to Jesus as our good shepherd. And so the New Testament repeatedly refers to the work of a pastor as that of a shepherd. And what did the good shepherd Jesus tell Peter to do after his resurrection? We know this so well. John 21, 15-17 tells us, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17, He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. What we see here is that Jesus wants His under-shepherds to prioritize feeding His sheep. And one of the primary tasks of a shepherd is to feed the sheep and make sure they are eating well from the Word of God so they can grow and be healthy. He's not talking about actual food. He's talking about spiritual food. The Word of God. He said they are to go into all the world, evangelize, make disciples and teach people all that He had commanded. So we aren't only to evangelize, but also to teach. If you look at Jesus, our Good Shepherd, He was a mighty preacher Himself. When He saw the crowds, the Bible says, He had compassion on them because they were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did He do to meet the need of a shepherd? Mark 6.34 He began to teach them many things. 
So teaching is a primary, primary responsibility of shepherds. And so just think about it for a moment. Jesus is in heaven right now. And He rules this local church through leadership and through the life-transforming power of His Word. That's why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 13-15, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in these things. For by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the Bible, in the Bible, shepherds, their rod and their staff is what? It's the Word of God. We lead people with the Word of God. We feed people the Word of God. But what else? What else does a shepherd do? He not only feeds people the Word of God, he protects himself and the food. He protects himself and the food so that he can protect the sheep. Because shepherds are ultimately sheep as well. As they submit to Christ, they too follow the great chief shepherd. And they have to make sure they are staying close to God's Word. So they can know how to protect others from danger. The dangers of false teachers and the wolves that are out there, and even amongst them in the church. So leaders don't just wait for the wolves to come in. They have to proactively guide the sheep across the safest paths, knowing what dangers are out there. By holding firmly to the Word of God. Titus 1 verse 9 says, 1 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict them. And one challenge we have in the world we live in right now is that people are exposed to so many avenues to hear different kinds of messages, which honestly can make shepherding a challenging task. And one of the ways we as leaders can protect you as the sheep is by teaching you the truth or guiding you through principles of wisdom from the Bible so that when you are overwhelmed, when you are going through hard times, and you listen to those messages on YouTube, for example, you are able to stop and discern, is this truth or does this contradict what the Bible says? When you want to get into a relationship with someone else, are you guided by your feelings and your desires, or are you guided by the truth of God's Word? Because sometimes that means we have to confront the false teachers directly. But sometimes that means, as shepherds, we will have to lovingly confront you. To help you see that you are filling your mind with things that are not truth. And it's clear from the way you are living your life. Life does not line up with the truth of the Bible, which means leaders need to know the truth to help others discern what is the truth. Which means that sometimes shepherds have to go after the sheep. They have to go after those who like to go off on their own. Because that is what a shepherd does. He shepherds, shepherds feed the flock, he protects the flock, and they have to keep track of the flock. Ezekiel actually prophesied against the leaders of Israel by accusing them of bad shepherding. This is Ezekiel 34 verse 2. He writes, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding ourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? And then he goes down in verse 4. He says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the straight you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So one of the accusations that's clear from the sex is they failed to go after those who have strayed. And we ourselves have seen in this church and in others how hard it can be to go after people who are stuck in their sin. Who have strayed from the truth. Who have strayed from the family of God. Because did you know, even a sheep, like an actual sheep, he can just be around the corner from the rest of the group, but if the shepherd doesn't lead him back to the group, he won't be able to find his way home. Sheep by themselves have no sense of direction. That's why Jesus said, leave the 99 and go after the one. 
Showing us how much he cares for every single sheep. And as elders, it can be hard to go after certain people, even though we try, we try. And it can feel as if we're failing and we're not able to get this right. But then we keep reading on. Just keep on reading your Bible. Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12. And this should be a comfort to all of us, not just the shepherds, to all of us. Because this is what the Lord God says. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thickening darkness. In the New Testament, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But he also brings in the other sheep, and talking about us the Gentiles into his safety, John 10 verses 14 to 16. And just a few verses later, Jesus is talking to the Jews again, and they're asking him a question in verse 24. John 10 verse 24. If you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. Well, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bears witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Can I just say that again? If you hear the voice of God, if you are truly one of His sheep, this is a promise that is for you. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. What a comforting word to know that the true shepherd, the good shepherd, will never cause me to go lost. True believers are safe and will always be safe forever with the Good Shepherd. And the more we listen to His voice, the more we grow in our assurance that He he truly cares for us. Because that is what a shepherd does. He feeds the flock, protects the flock, He guides the flock, knowing where they are, knowing where they're going, and knowing who have strayed, going after them. But Peter also explains that what this should look like in the church specifically. Because he says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Now just one more comment here about who elders are to shepherd. The flock of God, recognizing that the sheep belong to God ultimately. But also that is among you. That is among you. The elders of this church are not responsible for all the Christians in the world. God has placed sheep in a specific local church. And elders are to care for those sheep. That is why we put so much emphasis on membership. Because that not only helps elders know who they are to care for, but it protects the sheep by giving us as shepherds the opportunity to get to know those who are trying to come into the family. But Peter says elders are to exercise oversight. And oversight... Gives you this idea of seeing the big picture. Elders and leaders see the big picture of what is going on with the sheep. And then they act accordingly. But how exactly do they act accordingly? Well, he explains. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter gives three negatives, and for each negative, he gives a corrective. And the first is that elders are to care for God's people, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, an elder should not be someone that is forced into this position. And he should not be pressured into this role. Maybe others think that this person is ready and has potential, but they themselves don't think that. That God has truly called them to lead the church in this way. Rather, Peter says, elders should lead willingly. 
Because when it comes to pastoral ministry, there will be hard times and there will be good times. But remember, Peter's writing to elders who are facing suffering and intense suffering in their churches. But even in those times, elders should be happy to have this responsibility, no matter what the situation. Leaders don't do it because they must do it. They do it because they want to do it. Because God has placed His burden on their hearts. And we can't imagine not doing it. That's why Paul said to Timothy, when he's talking about the qualifications for now, in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Men aspire to this office because of God's work in their life. Because next Peter says, exercise oversight, not selfishly, but sacrificially. Peter knows that there are those who want to be in leadership so they can benefit from it. Not because they want to care for other people. Maybe you know what this looks like. Those who want to have the reputation, the money, having all the fame and fortune. Well, they neglect the people who are suffering. And the Bible does make it clear that shepherds should receive money for their labor and service. But you don't do it so that you can become a rich person. You do it so that you become a serving person. In other words, financial support from the church enables elders to serve as shepherds of the flock whilst being able to care for their own families. I like how one man says, he says, you don't pay people to preach. You pay people that they are free to preach for free. God has purpose that some men should be given financial support so they can give themselves to the full-time task of being shepherds. 1 Timothy 5.17 The elders who rule well be considered worthy of double or honor. Actually the word there is honorarium or compensation, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Lay elders are not less of a pastor. They just function in a different capacity to which God has providentially allowed them to serve. And the reality then is leaders who are selfish are going to have selfish people. If a leader is in love with money and his own reputation, caring more about how many people are in the church instead of caring for those who are actually in the church, then he's not going to make time for the sheep. Rather, the shepherds are to care for those sacrificially, eagerly, Peter says. Willing and eager, ready to sacrifice for the good of the sheep. And then the third way Peter explains what this oversight should look like is not domineering, but exemplary. Being an example. In other words, not dominating the sheep, but pushing by pushing authority down their throat. Because the elders don't have any authority apart from the Word of God. Nothing. Or rather, Peter says, they are to lead by example. Jesus taught Peter and the other disciples about what true authority and greatness looks like in Matthew 20. 25 to 28. But Jesus called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets the example. So what does this mean? It means God wants His under-shepherds to be servant leaders like He is. And if that's going to happen, then leaders need to be humble. They need to be willing to wash the feet of others. Because pride is a dangerous obstacle to any leader. And we have many observations in the Bible that, that warns us when it comes to pride. I mean, one of the qualifications for an elder is that they are to be gentle and not quarrelsome. 1 Timothy 3 verse 3. And not arrogant or hard-tempered. Titus 1 verse 7. One man says, The most important characteristic of a church leader is humility. Second, humility. Thirdly, yes, you guessed it, humility. Because a humble man responds well to correction. They're able to submit to one another and they are team players and they model what that looks like to the church. Causing the church to become team players as well. 
Because the church doesn't want men who are only looking out to get their own way. Even if they don't agree with the rest. That's why the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 22, Do not be too quick to appoint anyone to an elder and don't share in the sins of others. And said elders are to be examples to the flock. An example of the person of Jesus. Under shepherds should bridge the gap to help people experience the love of Christ in a caring and gentle way. They set the example of being above reproach. Where there's no accusation that can stick to them. Their reputation is clear. By being a one-woman man in his thought life and in his deeds. By being sober-minded and self-controlled with his temper, his money, his desires, everything. By being respectable, others look up to him and turn to him for wisdom. By being hospitable, opening their homes to care for others and being so involved in other people's lives that they start to smell like the sheep. By being able to manage his own household well, caring for his children and loving his wife in practical ways. Where he is a husband who knows how to lead his specific wife in the way that God has wired her and gifted her. And the wife then helps her husband by following his leadership and supporting his ministry. Not being a gossip. Not correcting her husband in front of other people. But through their love for one another, this marriage shows the love that Christ has for the church. Because if he can't manage his own family, how can he lead God's family? That is the logic of the Bible. And a healthy local church should have many people, many men and women, whose example we could follow. But when a church appoints a man to be an overseer, the church is formally saying, here is an official church-recognized example of a mature follower of Jesus that is worth imitating. He's not the only example. Or the perfect example. He's not necessarily the best example to the church and every single Christian virtue there is. But he is a model. In other words, an elder's job involves shepherding by being the example and leading out of example. And this is why God requires men who are going to prepare his bride to protect his body, to be godly, self-controlled, and seeking his glory. Not their own. And that is the motivation for this responsibility. For this office as overseer. Because thirdly, what sustains elders to care for God's people? How are they going to do this if they accept this call to lead God's people? Because in this context of Peter, it means that shepherds need to look beyond this world. They need to be an example of serving in a way that gives people hope in suffering. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It is clear that Peter exhorts and motivates others to keep going in this important task of caring for God's people, not being motivated by money or fame, but by the accountability of the chief shepherd. Because he's going to come back in the future, and when he comes, he's going to ask, Did you feed my sheep? Did you tend my flock? Did you protect them and nurture them and love them? This coming chief shepherd reminds all shepherds that he is the one that is ultimately ruling his church. Through those whom he had called to serve in this ministry. Men should not manipulate their way into this office. The church should not manipulate men or push men into this office who are not ready. True humble leaders do not aspire to the office for the wrong reasons. Because being a shepherd is a hard job. Because when you deal with people and their sin and their idols, you are subject to rejection. Even abuse, gossip and slander. It can get to the point where it feels like you just want to give up. One fellow pastor I know said just a couple of weeks ago that Almost every week, he feels like he wants to give up. And he's been a pastor for a long time. And he's one of the godliest examples that I know. But somehow he doesn't. Somehow he keeps on going. Why? Because he knows God's word and his promises. 
God says when Jesus comes back, elders and shepherds will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now this is not a crown that kings wear that's full of diamonds and emeralds and stuff. This is more like a wreath that an athlete gets when he finishes the race. James calls this the crown of life. And this crown, Peter says, is like he said so many times throughout this whole book already, this crown will never fade away. It will last forever. And the Greek term comes from the name of a flower called the amaranth, which it is said that this is a flower that can never fade or wither. It's therefore everlasting. And so elders even should slowly ask themselves, what do you have that will last forever? This is your degree on your wall. The accolade of men. The applause of men. The number of people in the church. Our motivation is not man, but it's God's love, His grace, and His glory. The glory belongs to God when He gets leaders to the end. Because once you have been in this office, you know you can't do this on your own. You know that it's not about you. Elders are just as dependent on God's grace as any of the other sheep in this church. And when we get to the end, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Godly leaders are motivated by godly reasons. As one man says, at that time, the faithful will stand with Christ in the victor's circle. His glory will be our reward. And if that's going to be true, we need to ask the sheep a few questions. What kind of sheep are you? Are you the kind of sheep that makes it easier or harder for the shepherds to care for you? Are you a sheep that is stuck in habitual sin? That needs someone to intervene in your life and help you address the sin that you struggle with? God has given us clear instructions on how to address those who are caught in sin. And you should expect God-fearing people to approach you and help you see your sin. And help you see how much you can turn from that sin and turn to Christ. Matthew 18 tells us how we should deal with people stuck in sin. Are you a wandering sheep? Being drawn away by other activities or interests outside the church. Such a busy schedule, work schedule, or study schedule, hanging out with your unbelieving friends more than you do with others in the church. And the longer you stay away from God's people and His Word, the less you will be interested in God. And you should not be surprised if any of the leaders approach you to help you see this. Are you a limping sheep? Have you taken a few hard knocks lately and you're hurting? Could be from losing a job, health issues, a relationship. Do you recognize that you need help? Or are you trying to deal with all this on your own? Are you asking others for counsel and help so you can move forward? Because limping sheep are vulnerable sheep. Vulnerable to the wrong thoughts and bad theology that fills their minds. They tend to keep the, the rest of the group back. But when shepherds become aware that the sheep need help, they seek to mobilize the church to come alongside others to help them in their hurting. Are you a fighting sheep? Are you in conflict with other people? Because it's when church members fight with one another, shepherds are able to help both parties see how they can resolve their conflict biblically. And others will challenge fighting sheep to make peace with God, pursue His glory for the sake of the gospel. Leadership and the rest of the church shouldn't turn a blind eye in the hope that these things will fix themselves. Pastoral ministry requires that the shepherds jump in to navigate the conflict between the sheep. And these are all opportunities we have to depend on Christ together and grow together. And maybe finally, are you a lone ranger sheep? Even though you're surrounded by the crowd, you like to do your own thing. 
You like to make your own decisions, driven by your own wisdom and not the counsel from God's servants in His Word. You like to keep all the information to yourself and you don't let anyone in and it's really hard to shepherd your people when they do this. When they are not willing to share the struggles and the desires they have. And so eldering can be very hard because a sheep can be very difficult to manage. But elders are motivated by the grace of God. To care for His people, to follow His leadership. As one author says, The Good Shepherd came into this world to seek and save the lost. The Lamb of God came to die for unrepentant, sinning sheep like us. The Great Physician came to bind up limping sheep, sick and broken by sin. The Prince of Peace waded into our war-torn world, ripped apart by rivalries and divisions beyond number. And when we hurled insults at him, stuck him and pierced him, he did not open his mouth. Jesus did not have to come, but he did. And when elders take the initiative to insert themselves, even though it costs them, they are examples of the very gospel they preach. God cares about the church and he cares about his people. And therefore God cares about who should lead the church. The sheep can help the shepherds by adhering to the teaching of Hebrews 13 verse 7. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over you, your souls, as those who will give an account. I think people forget that. As elders try to shepherd the people in this church, sometimes they forget that we are going to give account for every sheep that is in the flock. You can help the shepherds by submitting to their leadership. Because a church that does their own thing and they don't have biblical elders who will be a church that is shallow and insecure. There's no depth of relationship. It's going to be a church that's theologically weak, open to the heresies and lies of the world. They care more about the experience than about relationships with a relationship with Jesus. We care more about convenience than about the purpose of God. This will be a loveless church, a compassionless church, a selfish church, a greedy church, a proud church, and an unwilling to serve church. And by God's grace, I am thankful that is not living our church. God is not silent in how He wants His church to be governed. Peter says, elders are to shepherd the flock of God. Get involved in their lives. Exercise oversight willingly, eagerly, and as examples to others. Not being forced or selfish for selfish reasons or domineering over others, but being motivated by the accountability of the chief shepherd himself. Pursuing His glory through service to Him. And so we thank God that for the leadership that He's given us here, the team He's given us here at the church, and I'm thankful that we can look to appoint one more elder today. But I'm also thankful that God is at work in many other men in this church as well. Men who are growing, and whom the Lord might be calling to serve Him in this way in the very near future. And so I close by reading from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care so much about your church. This is your church. That you would set aside the specific office of leaders that you call shepherds, that are called to lead your sheep. Father, thank you that your word teaches us what that looks like. Thank you that we as a church can embrace what biblical leadership looks like. Help us to respond as a church to recognize that we want leaders to be involved in our lives. We want to be the kind of sheep that glorifies Jesus through the way we submit to leadership in this church. Thank you for the way you are at work in not only the the sheep, but also in other men that you are calling to lead in this way. Father, this is such a huge task. It's such an impossible task. It feels like such an overwhelming task. But what comfort do we not have that the great shepherd himself is among us? 
Jesus, the Good Shepherd, will never let anyone perish. What comfort that we know that you are governing this church through your word. Help us respond faithfully to this message today and recognize the importance of biblical leadership in a local church and how we can as a church embrace that in our own lives for your good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.